Good morning. Welcome. How are you? How do you like the new layout? Yeah, all right. That was, was a so-so yes. How do you like the new layout? All right. <clears throat> so, good. Well, uh, we are continuing our uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, just want to wish everyone, uh, all the moms, a uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, unfortunately, at, you know, when I chose to... Uh, allow the scripture to dictate the topic, these kind of things happen. Here I am, it's Mother's Day, and I'm talking about divorce, um, which seems kind of awkward. We had quite the debate as to what we were going to put on the sign. You know, Happy Mother's Day, divorce. <laughs> so, but actually this morning I was thinking, you know, uh, in America about approximately half of marriages end in divorce, and then on top of that, I believe it's over 30 to 40% of children are born out of wedlock. So really, uh, divorce is a very, te- very uh, important or uh, meaningful topic to talk about when we're talking about motherhood. So um, the reason we're talking about it, though, is because we're following the outline of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's the verse that we're dealing with. <clears throat> so it's Matthew 5, uh, verse 31 and 32. I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, Furthermore... This is, again, Jesus is addressing uh, his disciples as well as those in the crowd that had uh, been attracted by his teaching. So it's it's both his disciples and the greater um, uh, crowd that was with him. And he's been going through uh, a series of examples that uh, uh, show how kingdom righteousness must, must exceed the legalistic righteousness of the Pharisees. And this is the next example. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Wow. Pretty straight in the face scripture. I came across this comic, if you can see it. Uh, It looks like a pastor and his wife. And he's telling her what he's going to be preaching on. He's like, I'm preaching on abortion tomorrow, and next Sunday I'm going to preach on homosexual marriage. But in the room is the elephant of divorce and remarriage. I thought it really uh, described uh, the, uh, the church today. You know, uh, evangelicals get all uptight about issues like abortion and, and homosexual marriage and, and things like that that uh, uh, e- easily can be identified as you know, the enemy, but looming right in our living room is this huge issue of divorce and remarriage and how do we deal with it and uh, how do we address it. And it's just, it's something that uh, we don't want to overlook. Now, I just want to share, I am very familiar with this topic of divorce. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was young. All of my aunts and uncles on both sides of my family Across the board, plus all of my siblings except the one who remained unmarried until this summer at 50, 54, 54, 55, he's getting married. <laughs> I get to do the wedding, isn't that great? <clears throat> uh, all of my all of my aunts and uncles, my whole family, and, that, and not just one divorce, most of them have been married and divorced multiple times. Uh, and as a pastor, I've, I've had to deal with countless situations 
that uh, either were facing divorce, some were saved from it, many of them ended up having to walk through that. So I've really, personally, as a, and as a pastor, I've delved the depths of this issue. I've struggled with this theologically, practically. How do you work it out legally? What's the legal ramifications morally, emotionally? That's the big one. Just the grinding through uh, uh, the difficult situation. So in every other way. What I'm about to say on the topic of divorce may make some of you uncomfortable and maybe even angry. <laughs> Hear me out and pray. We can agree to disagree on some things. This is what I believe the Bible teaches. And I'm not going to cover the entire, I mean, it would take a long time to do the entire theology of, of divorce. But I'm going to say pretty straightforward what I, I believe uh, is the right way or how I understand <clears throat> this verse that Jesus is talking about and the greater issue of divorce that he's addressing. Jesus is using this as the next example of kingdom righteousness exceeding the pharisaical and worldly ethical living. You must keep in, in mind the context of a verse. And if you take a verse out of context, you will misinterpret it. That's pretty standard Bible, fundamental understanding of the Bible. So what I'm going to say is not violating any principle of Bible interpretation. It's not watering down Scripture. It's actually honoring Scripture in the way it ought to be honored. Uh And so uh, you need to understand that that is the context that Jesus is speaking. He's not giving a complete teaching on on divorce and remarriage. He's not. This is just one example. Think of it. He's doing a sermon. He's ripping off. I think there were six different examples of how kingdom righteousness must be different than pharisaical righteousness. It took them all of maybe 30 seconds or 40 or a minute at most to go through all of these. He's not giving us a full explanation of how marriage and divorce works in the kingdom. But some people want to say this is the only verse that applies. It's not the only verse that applies. Now, I believe it's, it's often misunderstood and misused and abused, passages of the Bible, because people just take it and think, oh, this is, this is the new understanding of divorce, and then we use it to, to clobber people. It's too often used to cast stones and shame rather than minister truth and grace. All right? You know, nothing Jesus said was said to bring condemnation or accusation. The enemy is the accuser. Everything Jesus said, he, he comes with truth and grace. And so we must understand that. That applies to this as well. Erdman's well-respected Bible commentator, uh, <clears throat> the publisher Erdman, uh, uh, in regards to this verse that Jesus said, says that this is that the absolute ethic of the kingdom. By absolute ethic, what does that mean? That means this is the highest ideal. This is the goal. This is the target. This is what we're shooting for. This is the clear ideal uh, of the kingdom. But it is no more meant to be a subject for legislation than anything else in this passage. And so this is not just a new rule book. This is the ideal. And remember again, Christ followers need a different kind of righteousness altogether. Uh, uh, That's based out of love and obedience that's relationship based 
Not just a more intense version of pharisaical righteousness or legal compliance. And the idea here is, you know, you don't read Scripture, you don't read the New Testament to find a a new list by which you evaluate your your right standing with God, but you, you understand that you're in a relationship with a person. All right? Jesus Christ and God the Father. Uh, it's not just a new checkoff. Uh, oh, I'm right uh, and I'm, I'm wrong here, or that person's right here, but they're wrong. They're, they're divorced. Uh, did they, was there adultery? No, they're wrong. No, it's just wrong. That's not it. That's not how you determine righteousness in the kingdom. Righteousness is through right relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, but the natural man just wants a checkoff list. He wants something, you know, just simple. And relationships aren't simple, are they? Yeah. Have you found any relationship to be simple? Yeah. Even a relationship with a dog is not simple. <clears throat> it's my neighbor. My neighbor. I don't know why. The whole time we've lived there, they've always had dogs, and they're always yelling at their dogs. I was like, they must like yelling at their dogs. I mean, seriously, they said, I'll get outside every single day. Jeez, I like, call a dog trainer, okay, please. Anyway, <laughs> so if relationship with an animal, relationship with one another is difficult, relationship with God is, is complex. You know, all relationships are complex. So, furthermore, <clears throat> it has been said, let's get to the text, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus is referencing this verse in the Old Testament. And in Jesus' day, as well as in today, people use divorce as an easy out. Right? Uh, when there are problems in their marriage, often it just ends up uh, getting uh, for divorce, uh, going uh, the path of divorce. And that's unfortunate, and it's not God's plan. Um, the intent of the law, or in other words, the permission to issue a, a divorce a certificate by Moses was done to protect women and marriage, not as a means to end it. Okay, So the intent was to protect women, especially in even uh, uh, Jesus' day, but especially in Old Testament um, culture, if a woman was divorced or put out, by her husband, that woman often had no means of support whatsoever. Uh, it wasn't like our day where a woman should go out and get a job. It was, it could mean their death or, or poverty, or that person, uh, that woman would be left uh, without any support at all. And so Moses came in and gave uh, an orderly way to do it, and a way that protects uh, marriage and protects the people involved. When a man takes, this <coughs> from New King James, says when a man. Uh, takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes. This is the verse that Jesus is referencing. This is the Old Testament verse that Jesus is referencing uh, when he, what he quoted in the Sermon on the Mount. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his sight because he has found some uncleanness in her, <clears throat> and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, And when she departs from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the later husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the later husband dies, who took her as his wife, uh, the verse goes on, then her former husband, who divorced her, 
must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. Uh, For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land for which the Lord God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, I read this verse, and it's really talking about someone who's married, gets divorced, remarries, and gets either gets divorced or is widowed, and they're not to go back to their first husband. But in that day, they kind of forgot the second half of the verse and just thought about, well, what are the qualifications? How can I get a divorce? All right. And, uh, and, the, and the Jews in Jesus' day says, well, if, they're, if, they're un, if he's unhappy, then we can just divorce. If he's unpleased in any way. Um, Jesus is directly addressing the misuse of this law. You have to understand, when Jesus is speaking in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he was speaking about how uh, against the misuse of this Old Testament law, either legalistically or licentiously. So in other words, either the misuse and legalistically applying it um, or, or using it in a licentious way, which means, oh, I can just, for whatever reason I choose, I can just write off my marriage and send this woman out. Or legalistically in, in making sure that every, as long as every uh, T is crossed and every I is dotted, you know, everything's okay with God. He's going, no, no, you're missing the understanding of the whole uh, law and the purpose. And, and just as there is in our day, <clears throat> there's a raging debate about divorce. It continues to our day. And I have a handout <clears throat> that's it's four pages long. And I just would ask, could you hand these out? Don't read them now, obviously. You won't be able to hear the rest of my sermon. Please take one per family. I only have enough for one per family. I'll make this available online as well. It's from Christianity Today, which really goes in depth into the theology and the historical context of, of Jesus's, what Jesus is saying and why it's not just a simplistic, you can't divorce and remarry unless there was adultery involved. Okay, So that is for your further study. Understanding what Jesus was addressing is important. Uh, that he was addressing the misuse of this Old Testament uh, text is important to get to the point of what Jesus was really saying. Now let's go back. It says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now Jesus is not making a blanket statement or a new legalism about divorce and remarriage. He's addressing the misuse in his day of that verse. And when Jesus started talking about this, everyone knew what he was talking about because it was a raging debate whether or not you could divorce for any reason or whether there had to be specific reasons put out in the law. He's saying that kingdom righteousness calls to an end to legal maneuvering as a way to justify divorce and all sin and destructive behavior. Okay? That's the point. So you can't just pick a scripture and make sure you, you, you follow that one verse and then think that you're, you, it's okay uh, to, to justify uh, the end of a marriage. He said, no, that's not what kingdom righteousness is about. It goes far better than that. I actually think the message is nails this one because it takes into, into mind the cultural uh, understanding and the cultural issues that were at play. 
the message translates this verse this way. It says, too many of you are using that, that verse that he just quoted, as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife or your spouse, it goes both ways, by the way, you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. Now, let's just for a second realize what he means by that. One is that he, it implies that she's going to remarry. He's not forbidding remarriage. And so think of it this way. If you divorce your wife, she doesn't want to be divorced, but because of some selfish reason or something that you're just in a, you know, unwilling to, to repent and work on the relationship and you just divorce her, that's going to mean she's going to have to go out and remarry. Right? And it's going to end up in adultery. Not that it's a sin to remarry, but it's just, he's talking about divorce. Don't do it just as a, as a way to get out of the responsibility of making your marriage right. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask moral failure. So the issue is moral failure. Hey, if marriage is broke, fix the marriage. Fix the marriage. Do everything impossible to, see, to fix that marriage. That's, that's the, the standard. So I'm going to give a short course. Huh, very quickly short. Divorce in and of itself is not sin. Just think about that for a minute. Because frankly, I think, especially in America, I don't know other countries, the evangelical world has made divorce sin. Yet half of more, more Christians, the percentage of Christians that get divorced is higher than the percentage of, of people in the world. Now, just to cushion that, I think it's because there's a greater number of people in the world that don't get married. They just live together. So if you calculate that into the statistics it, 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 uh, um, the, and if you look at the number of if you look at the number of divorces of um, uh, individuals Christians who both are active participants in the local church which is the best measure of living a Christ-like life by every standard every study says it uh, two Christians that are actively involved in the local church living their faith the rate of divorce is very, very, very low. All right. So, so this whole thing about all Christians get divorced just as much as the world is kind of like a statistical uh, huh? manipulation. manipulation yeah. <coughs> Don't trust statistics. Ninety-eight percent of them are made up on the spot. <laughs> even in this passage, Jesus says it's the result. Even in this passage, Jesus said it results in adultery. Not that divorce is sin. He doesn't say divorce is sin in this passage. He says if you divorce, it's going to cause a ripple effect. Uh, and the except, you know, the fact that Jesus gives an exception. How often do you find an exception to a moral law? Huh, I don't know of any other exception. In other words, even when Jesus is addressing this head-on, there, there are exceptions, and there's other exceptions in Scripture. Divorce is the unfortunate but allowable course of action in some cases. I'm going to get to some of the other exceptions in Scripture, but I need to uh, say this one other point. 
is that you know, we love Jesus, we, we love those red letters in the Bible, but Jesus' words in the Scripture are not like more Scripture than all of the other Scripture. Because it says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. And so the, a level of authority on Scripture is equal across the board. Right? But you need to understand it in context. Right? Old Testament Scripture and Old Testament context, Jesus' words in context. I'm trying to give you the context of what Jesus is saying that sounds like a blanket statement when it isn't. Short course on divorce can't avoid this verse. Malachi 2.16 The Lord God of Israel says that He hates divorce. Now I just said divorce isn't a sin. I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says divorce is a sin. Jesus doesn't say divorce is a sin. He says if you divorce, it's going to lead to adultery. It's either the result of adultery or it's going to lead to an adulterous broken marriage. He says he hates it though. For it covers, why? Because it covers one's garments with violence. Divorce is an act of violence. Right? It says the Lord God of hosts, Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God hates it, but he does not ban it. Right? Divorce violently rips apart or murders the new person that was created when the two became one. So even in situations where it's justifiable, or in other words, where it's the only course of action left. It is violent. It is bloody. It is, it is hurtful. And it's damaging to one's spirit. Uh, that's where it says, take heed to your spirit. Pay attention to the effect this is going to have on your spirit. And very few people understand. They get caught up in the details of, well, she's not doing this, or he's not doing that, or this is the result, or this happened. I'm like, look what's going to happen to your spirit. And I do everything in my power as a pastor to, 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 to save marriages. It's one of my primary roles is I want to do everything possible. But there's been numerous times where it gets to the point where there isn't anything else that can be done. Even then... It is still destructive. It's, it's violent. It's, it's, it's bloody. Adultery is the most clear exception. And Jesus, is, Jesus used that exception to contrast what had become virtually a no-fault divorce. And so in that handout I gave you, you can read about the, the cultural thing that happened. That, that There was two, two, two parts, two parties basically. One that says any reason for any cause, if, if the husband found displeasure, he could just write a divorce and it was done. You know, and the other one's like, no, 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 you can't divorce for almost hardly any reason. All right? And so he was coming against. And what was predominantly accepted at that time was this no-fault divorce. And that's basically where we are today. Um, uh, Jesus uses the most extreme uh, exception when he's talking about adultery. <clears throat> and in other, new passages, other passages in the New Testament where adultery isn't mentioned, in some of the other Gospels, Jesus talks about adores, uh, adultery. He doesn't uh, refer to adultery, but it's implied. Everyone understood if that happened, um, a, a divorce was, was one uh, response. By the way, it's not required if someone commits adultery that you divorce him. Because God still hates divorce. And there can be reconciliation and redemption even in those situations. And there's many testimonies of people who have walked through that uh, successfully. Old Testament law actually required death, not divorce. 
for adultery. All right? In the Old Testament, that was a response. The reason it wasn't practiced in Jesus' day is because the Romans would not allow uh, the Jews to kill someone uh, just for adultery. Because Roman law was real comfortable with that. <laughs> they, they didn't mind. Roman law was really really quite uh, a libertarian. Uh, the, the exception is not gender specific. In other words, it doesn't mean if your wife has adultery, then you can divorce. But if the husband goes out and runs around, she, she's got to stay uh, uh, faithful. No, not necessarily. And in fact, all of the exceptions in Scripture are not gender specific. Jesus had just said in the phrase before this, if I might remind you, that looking at a woman and lusting for her is adultery. <laughs> and then he says, well, if you divorce except for adultery, uh, then, uh, you know, you're, caught, you're, you're committing adultery. He's, and who in the room can say that we haven't lusted towards someone? Are you hearing me? So let's hear the, this, this phrase in context. The word for adultery that Jesus uses is pornea, which means a whole range of sexual misconduct. So a divorce was legitimate or acceptable under this or any of the other exceptions. It doesn't mean it's the best course of action. In fact, it's often the worst course of action. And even when it is the right course of action, it's destructive, it's, it's painful, it's very, very difficult. Remarriage after divorce is actually a separate issue. Jesus is not addressing that in this verse. He's addressing the misuse of that one scripture that had led to the prevailing practice of no-fault divorce that had to be, uh, 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 Jesus wanted to say, that's not kingdom righteousness. Uh, causing adultery or committing adultery is a consequence of moral failure. And Jesus is trying to steer. He's communicating that the ethics of the kingdom, that living as a Christ follower, deals with the moral issues of your heart. And man, if it's, got, if it's gotten to the place where you're trying to figure out if you, you can legally get out of this marriage, you have a heart issue that you haven't dealt with. Amen? All right. He's not forbidding remarriage. I have some friends but that if they heard me say that, would probably never talk to me again. Because right. uh, they just, cause, frankly, because they've never walked with someone through the process of divorce where you try everything and nothing works. And, and you spend hours, weeks, months, years interceding and, and doing everything. If you want to know how Jesus deals with the issue of remarriage or, or, or adultery, not, not when he's speaking to people who are misinterpreting and misapplying an Old Testament verse, but who are caught in a broken marriage. Let's look at the woman caught in adultery. Did he talk to her about remarriage? Huh? No. He forgave her. Don't worry. I'm not going to throw a stone at you. How about the woman who had five husbands and the guy she was living with was her boyfriend. Remember that story? Did Jesus go, hey, you sinner. Don't you realize that you've committed adultery? And now you're living in sin? You're going to burn in hell. No. You know what he did? He talked to her about worship. He talked to her about worship. 
He said, true worship is worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that's what the Father is looking for. He talked to her about connecting with God through worship. Because he realized that's what that individual needed. Not humiliation or condemnation about their moral failures and their marriage problems. Okay? That's not belittling the importance of marriage. I'm in no way belittling the importance of marriage. I'm trying to say, hey church, let's realize what the real issue is and what Jesus is actually saying. There's a neglected Old Testament verse. It's in Exodus 21. And in Jesus' day, and in most of Jewish history, this verse was never contested. All right? Um, this was acknowledged as rules for, that applied to all marriage. It says, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one. Now, back then they had multiple marriages, and that was allowed. It was never endorsed by God, but it, it was allowed in that era. <clears throat> Um, and so, if this person married another, uh, if a man married another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Uh, these conditions for divorce were accepted in Jewish culture. I already said that. He's, Jesus is not challenging these exceptions or these conditions because that was not what was being abused in the culture that he was speaking to. That was not the issue. Uh, they all realized that uh, being married, if you read the context of that verse in Exodus, um, it is someone in the marriage, if he marries another woman, talking about marriage, that, that these three things, food, clothing, and marital rights, are, are part of what is the covenant of marriage. I believe that verse is neglected, overlooked, You'd never read this when you read people ranting and raving about divorce and remarriage um, on Facebook. They don't refer to it. And I think, I'm like, God, why do people overlook this verse? I think it's because it's easy to cast stones at adulterers. It's easy to look at people who are divorced and say they're in sin and, not, and still justify the failure in your own marriage. Well, at least we haven't been divorced. Okay, but you know what? You're not fulfilling your marriage covenant. Does that make sense? And the ideal is fulfill the marriage covenant. Don't don't fall into moral failure. Three rights: food, clothing, and marital rights. Basically, is talking about sexual fulfillment. It doesn't really limit to that, but that's directly what it's talking about. It's sexual fulfillment. That you're meeting your 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 spouse's sexual needs. You're uh, providing clothing and food. To broaden the categories, to understand the basic categories. It's nourishment, protection, and fulfillment. All right? That those are uh, the, they're actually the basis of all marriage vows right up to today. I, I, I promise to love you, to keep you, to hold you, to, to save you, and to have no, no. It's the basis of all, it's, it's what marriage is. All right? And it applies to both husbands and wives. This is the promise that we enter into. This is the covenant of marriage. And when it says that if the, if the husband <clears throat> fails to provide that to his wife, she can leave without payment. That means she doesn't have to buy her way out of the marriage. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have to pay money to her to support her. It means that she is free to leave because he has failed to meet the covenant of marriage, the obligations of marriage. And that's under the law. 
All right? <clears throat> I believe that those things still apply today. That's what marriage is. Now, I'm not saying, oh, so if my spouse isn't meeting those things, I can be free to divorce. No, it's not a checklist. Remember? This, but that is what you have committed to provide for your spouse. So you need, to, you need to make sure they're nourished spiritually and physically. You need to make sure that they're protected, that they're safe emotionally, spiritually, and physically. You need to make sure that they are fulfilled sexually, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way you can. Right? And if you live that way, your spouse is going to be happy and they're going to return. And if you understand that that's what marriage is, that releases. The, the, that re- divorce won't even be the issue in most cases. Another scripture that applies, oh, <laughs> sorry, Bill. <laughs> to the married, I give this command. This is, this is Paul talking on divorce. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not depart from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. New Testament verse, Paul writing to the church. Clear command not to divorce. Paul was aware of all the reasons in scripture that permitted or uh, both the permitted reasons and the unpermitted, the un- unrighteous reasons that led to divorce. He doesn't actually tackle any of them, I think, on purpose. And he sets the bar really high, just like Jesus says. No divorce! Right? But it's interesting, he says, but if she does. Huh. <laughs> A believer is not to divorce her husband, but if she does. Or vice versa, again, it's not gender specific. Even in the early church, this was a huge issue. People were getting divorced even though they were commanded not to. Paul said don't get divorced. But if they do, why? Why is this in the Bible? Because he's writing to a church trying to handle these people that shouldn't have got divorced, but they got divorced anyway. How do you handle them? Kick them out of the church. Never talk to them again. Treat them like scum of the earth. No. He's setting the ideal. How about we forgive them and lead them into restoration, get their heart healed up, and maybe maybe the hope is reconciliation. That's the hope. That's the ideal. But always, uh, but sometimes reconciliation isn't possible. It doesn't. I'm serious. Sometimes it's just not possible. It doesn't ignore the rights and the requirements of that other verse. Uh, again, if the marriage has failed because of uh, moral. Uh, 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 reasons or, or the person is not meeting their their obligations in marriage, it's failed. Let's just be real. It says, but if un- Here's another exception. <clears throat> if an unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. He's talking about if, a, if someone gets saved and they're married to a non-believer and the non-believer is unwilling to live with the believer when, because they're a believer, because they're practicing Christianity, you know what? He gives another exception. Divorce is acceptable. Don't do it unless the unbeliever forces you to. Right? But if, if, if this is an exception, then it says you're not under bondage. What does not under bondage mean? Right. It means free to remarry. Right? Free to remarry. Um, and if that, uh, accept, if that applies to this exception, it's just biblically appropriate to say it applies to all exceptions. That there's a freedom to remarry, 
Uh, that doesn't mean, again, if you just use it as a way out of a, of a broken marriage so you can get married again, if that's your attitude coming into it, you're just going to get, you're setting yourself up for failure and you're missing the mark. You're missing the kingdom of God. Uh, I don't believe this contradicts at all. Paul doesn't contradict with Jesus. All right? We need to bring in all of the scriptures that speak on divorce in order to have a good theology on divorce. Jesus was not guiding a wounded person through the mire of a broken marriage uh, when he was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Like Jesus, like in Jesus' day, we're in a divorce free for all. And the right response is not to yell sinner, uh, but to allow the righteousness of Christ to change our, our hearts, to lead us in, in, a, in a love relationship. I'm going to skip through some of this because I'm over time. Uh, we're in a pig stew. That means we're in a mess. All of our relationships are all messed up anyway. Let him without the sin cast the first stone. Eh? <clears throat> Righteousness, uh, regardless of our past, present, uh, past, present, or future disqualifications, our hearts need to be made right. And that's the best hope for our marriages. That there's transformation through relationship with Jesus Christ that will make moral failures become moral successes. That we'll learn how to love our spouses in a way that brings fulfillment, brings freedom to them as well as to us. And, and that's the goal that Jesus had in His kingdom. And that's the goal we all should have in our lives. Amen? Bill, go for it. Thank you.